In October 2018, Tom Bosberg stepped down as superintendent of Denver Public Schools after nearly 10 years on the job. By all accounts, his tenure was eventful. He implemented a new school performance framework, created new opportunities for teacher leadership, opened more than 65 new schools, most of them charters, and created a common enrollment system aimed at putting all public schools on a level playing field. Those efforts were accompanied by large gains in enrollment and student outcomes, but also by growing complaints that the changes he pursued either went too far or not far enough. What can we learn from Tom Bosberg's decade-long effort to reinvent Denver's public schools? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Tom Bosberg himself. As noted, he's the former superintendent of Denver Public Schools and now an adjunct lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. You can find an article looking back at his decade-long tenure as superintendent in the spring 2019 issue of the journal, and I'm very grateful that he's agreed to spend a few minutes doing just that with me today. Tom, welcome to the Ednext Podcast. Great. Thanks very much. Delighted to be here and looking forward to the conversation. So at the outset of your tenure as superintendent in 2009, you declared the Denver Public School District and its centralized top-down model for providing public education fundamentally broken. What did you mean by that? How exactly was it broken? I think, again, we weren't anywhere near where we needed to be in terms of our results for kids, right? At that point, we were seeing only about half of our kids graduate from high school, fewer than a half uh, go to college. We were behind the state the rest of the state, you know, by a huge margin in every measure of, of academic performance. We were also, sadly, every year we showed the least academic growth of any major district in the state. So not only were we behind, but every year we were falling farther behind. And I think that there was not a real sense of confidence in, the, in many parts of the community that the public schools were great places to send their kids. We were seeing a huge loss uh, of our families who didn't send uh, the Denver Public Schools, their kids. And, and I think likewise, we had many very talented and dedicated professionals, but I don't think Denver was seen, you know, as a place if you were a really talented educator, school leader, as a great place, really a desire, you know, a hugely desirable place to go and teach and, and lead a school. So in all those ways, we just were nowhere near where we needed to be to uh, be the kind of, offer the kind of opportunities to our kids and our families that I think all of us cared very deeply about. But as I understand it, your diagnosis went yeah. beyond just looking at the performance indicators that you were yeah. just talking about yeah. and went more deeply to the structure of the system itself. In what yeah. ways did you see the structure of the district as you know, being responsible for the disappointing outcomes? Yeah, so I think the traditional structure, and it's not just in Denver, we've seen it in lots of places, has not served kids and families well. And, and I think when you look at it, the structure of a school with a lack, for example, of teacher leadership roles, a lack of distributed leadership, the lack of kind of professional learning and support opportunities that are available for teachers, the lack of, of, of practices of people working very closely together in teams, uh, the lack of innovation we were seeing uh, in creativity. Um, and, and I also think um, that there was a lack of, of real thoughtfulness in Denver and elsewhere of with this, this, this construct of charter schools, how do you build a community of public schools uh, that includes both district-run schools and charter schools in a way that furthers the common goal of equity and, and makes sure that all public schools are, are working together in a way that means better opportunities, particularly for our highest needs kids? 
Now, the article in the journal identifies a range of strategies that you pursued yeah. to reinvent the system from a multi-measure school accountability system to changes to teacher evaluation and pay to the creation of new charter and innovation schools, a common enrollment system. What did these and other moves that you made have in common? What was the theory of action that ties them together? Yeah, so we really wanted, uh, above all, to be able to attract and retain talented educators, right? That was at the school level we want. This is really about how do you get talented educators who want to come and work in the Denver Public Schools and to ensure that we have great schools in every neighborhood uh, within our community, right? Not just in our wealthier neighborhoods, but most importantly in our poor neighborhoods have better schools that, that are uh, more dynamic, that attract and keep talent, that offer the best possible education opportunities for our kids. And I felt it was important that you just couldn't do that through a single top-down system, uh, but you needed to really think, how do we empower uh, our educators uh, to, again, really attract the best talent? How do we give them the support and development and learning uh, that they need? And again, how do we ensure that as we have a dynamic public school community of both district-run schools and charter schools, that we're working together to provide uh, better opportunities in particular for our highest needs kids. And part of your efforts to do that involved creating this Office of New Schools, later dubbed the Portfolio yeah. Management Team. Yeah. The district even issued a call for new quality schools. I believe some 60 charter schools, district authorized, yeah. opened during your time in office. And this marked a real reversal from the district's stance on charter schools. I believe when Colorado's charter school law first was passed, yeah. the district led an effort to challenge it in the courts. Uh, what was behind this shift, and, yeah. and what did you learn from putting out this call for yeah. new quality schools? Yeah, so, so I think that we, when charter schools started, Denver, like so many other districts in the country, did the same thing, which we went to war with the charter schools. And I think that war helped nobody, right? And I think one of the lessons is of civil wars is civil wars leave a lot of dead and maimed and hurt people in all parts of your community. And I think from the beginning it was a thought of, well, charter schools have an opportunity and a right by law to exist. They're not the enemy, right? That what is the enemy here is a lack of opportunity for kids and lack of systems that make sure our uh, highest needs kids get the best opportunities. So essentially it was really trying to rethink how do we ensure that in a community of public schools we welcome high quality district run schools and charter schools that we play by the same rules that we work together towards that North Star goal of equity, right? And, and again I think in most districts what we see is uh, this war where the sort of the, ch the charter schools are sort of trying to kept keep outside the gates and they just end up people end up fighting uh, as a result I think in most districts you don't see good systems where for example charter schools play by different rules different enrollment systems uh, less of service for example to special education uh, students or English language learners uh, different disciplinary rules and, and I think what we said was no we're all public schools and we want to encourage uh, and welcome public schools that above all fit two characteristics. One, they're great places for kids, where kids learn and grow, where they're supported socially and emotionally, where they have strong communities. Um, and two, they're, they're held that the, the, the exact same rules on serving all kids, right? Our public schools are our public schools. And all, and I think what's so different about Denver, really compared to just about every other place in the country, except maybe New Orleans, 
is charters are just as co-equally public schools in terms of their rules and requirements on serving all kids. And, and frankly, I give great credit to our charter sector, right? Our charter sector is really led in this, that, that they are, have been very clear, we're here, right, for the purpose of equity. We want to serve all kids. And so if you think about a number of, of just the fundamental changes in Denver that make it so different than any other place, is uh, charter schools and district-run schools play by exactly the same rules. We have one common enrollment um, system. Uh, the district controls every wait list and every entrance of any kid into any school in the district, charter or district run. Every transfer, we control all expulsions. We have the same discipline policy. Almost every charter school in the Denver Public Schools is a neighborhood school. Uh, they first and foremost have to serve all kids within their boundaries, right? The exact same rules when kids come late, right? If, if you have kids who come in November or January who are often your most transient, your, your, your highest needs kids, the exact same uh, opportunities for those kids to go to charter schools as to district-run schools. And, and so I think that's fundamentally important because if you don't set up those rules around equity, um, I, I, I think, frankly, often you know, unbridled markets lead to the disadvantage of those without social capital, without social privilege. And in a public school system, it's so important right, that we set up a, a system where there's the same set of opportunities for all schools, both district-run and charter, and the same set of responsibilities uh, around serving all kids. And, and one of those aspects was that opportunity to open new schools. You know, when I started, the only new schools were charter schools, and I thought that was crazy, right? We have very talented district educators who have dreams and visions of opening new schools. And part of the call for new quality schools was to say, we're going to have the exact same rules and process and opportunities to open a terrific new school, whether you're a district-run school or you're a charter school, right? Again, we're all public schools, and we want to have the same kind of opportunities. Get away from what I think is, frankly, a, a very harmful fixation. Are you a charter school? Are you a district-run school? Again, to us, it mattered. Are you a great public school? that serves all kids and serves all kids well. If you're a district-run school, hallelujah. If you're a charter school, hallelujah. But those rules are very important. And um, those schools, for example, that were somewhat, you know, were wondering whether they could play by different rules, the answer was very clearly no. We're all going to be public schools, and we're going to play by the same rules around serving all kids with a particular emphasis on how do we best support our highest needs kids. Now in an earlier Ed Next piece on Denver, David Osborne commented that what was most unique about it was that the district was pursuing this portfolio management model you've just described, despite the fact that it had an elected school board. He noted that most of the places that have attempted a similar approach, such as New Orleans that you mentioned, mm -hmm. Washington DC, Camden, New Jersey, they've done so in the context of a state or mayoral takeover. So how did the continued existence of a locally elected board either enhance or constrain the progress you were able to make in Denver? How did you get them to go yeah, along with sure. this new stance toward charters? First, I think we had a very courageous, thoughtful group of board members, right? We had an extraordinary group of individuals committed to the service of the community who serve on the school board. That's, you know, right, it's a volunteer job. They get no money for it. Um, they don't always get lots of plaudits for it. Uh, but you had a very committed school board committed to how do we improve opportunities, uh, particularly for our highest needs kids. And, and I think there are a couple key pieces of that. One, 
that you see in some districts such a focus on on how do we ensure that there's greater, for example, choice and openness to other governance models. That there's less of a focus on how do we make sure we're, we're really spending the majority of our time investing in and improving our district-run schools. And I don't think those two are, are in conflict with each other. Rather, I think from the beginning we said they both have to be at the forefront. We can't just have efforts where we're only focused, for example, on, on more choices and charters. Um, we have to put the majority of our efforts into the majority of our schools. The majority of our schools are, are district-run schools and vice versa. We can't just say we're just going to focus on our district-run schools and not try and create this, this stronger community of public schools of different governance types. So I think that part of our success, and when you look at the data, right, the growth in the district-run schools has been as strong uh, as the growth in charters. And if you look at the data today, the data is basically indistinguishable in terms of the performance of district-run schools versus charter schools. And again, that performance is Denver public schools have the highest rate of year-on-year -year academic growth. We've had it for the last five years of any major district in the state. Ten years ago, we had the lowest growth. Uh, and that growth is particularly remarkable because according to state data, uh, higher-income kids grow faster across the state than lower-income kids. Of those big districts, we're the, by, the, by far the highest poverty, but yet we have the highest growth. And that growth is almost exactly the same in district-run schools and charter schools. So one, it was really trying to have a very clear vision. You know, some of our critics said, oh, this is only about charters. And some of the media just wanted to talk about charters and portfolio. And absolutely, a key part of our approach was ensuring that we have a strong community uh, of public schools in which charter schools and district-run schools have room to thrive and grow. But a huge piece of that was the tremendous amount of time and focus, by far the majority of our time and focus, that we put into our district-run schools, right? The district-run schools are still 75% uh, of our schools. And they don't just grow and improve by sort of saying, stand back, do whatever the heck you all want to do, right? It requires a tremendous amount of investment and time and thought, particularly in talent, uh, in support, in attracting and keeping great teachers. And, you know, and I think one of the things that I think has made probably the biggest change uh, in Denver and the reason we've seen such growth is that we have the strongest systems in the country of teacher leadership and teacher support. So Denver has the largest teacher leadership program of any district in the country. This year, one of 10 teachers in Denver is a teacher leader who teaches for half the day. And the other half the day, they lead a team of teachers. Uh, and they're that, teach, that, that team's lead. They're there to coach and guide and observe and give feedback to the teachers on their teams. They're in their classrooms at least once a week. They meet as teams uh, often several times a week to work together, to share, to look at student data, to compare ideas. Uh, that teacher leader in almost every case is actually the supervisor of record uh, for, those, for those teachers. They're the real leaders, right? The leaders of those teams. And what it's enabled us to do is to give teachers much greater support and coaching uh, in this extraordinarily challenging, complex profession that teachers in and help us keep and grow so many more of our talented teachers. And I think that piece, that real investment in teacher leadership and supportive teachers, investment in school leadership, really was the most important thing that we did for 10 years and really enabled our growth and helped deal with, frankly, the knee-jerk criticism that we often heard that you only care about, you know, uh, about charters and choice. And again, to us from the beginning, it was a both-and 
strategy, and I think that was critical to maintaining and driving public support over you know a decade, um, quite in school, you know, in, in school timelines, uh, a much longer time frame time frame than we usually see in terms of driving fundamental change in our school communities. Now, the new article notes a long list of uh, accomplishments uh, in Denver over the past decade, increased enrollment, a 15 percentage point jump in the graduation rate, a near closing of the gap in achievement between Denver and the rest of the state, two successful bond approvals. Yet it also notes persistent challenges, especially in terms of the equity of outcomes and a large and perhaps even growing number of critics who felt either that your reforms were too far reaching or that they were not far reaching enough. As you look back a decade as superintendent, what are you most proud of? And conversely, what's your greatest frustration? Um, so there's a, a lot that I'm grateful for and proud of, and, and I think two things above all. So one was just the tremendous growth uh, for our students, and one of the things I felt was unfortunate about the article, some of the data is wrong. We didn't have a 17% growth in, in graduation rates by Latino students. We had a 35% growth uh, in graduation rate by our Latino students for the plurality of our students, right? That's a remarkable growth. We didn't just have some growth in college enrollment among our students of color. We doubled our number of black and Latino students going to college every year, right? Just profound shifts uh, in outcomes for our kids. We cut by two-thirds our dropout rate, right? These are not small shifts, right? These are enormous shifts. And I think it's important, I think it's unfortunate the article didn't get some of the data uh, right because it's very important we look at what the data is. So I'm proud uh, of that level of, of growth uh, for our students and that change in outcomes. And I'm also very proud of the fact that, that at the end of 10 years, Denver was seen by the community as a place to send their kids, right? One of the things the article points out, we had a 40% drop in families sending their kids to private school. We grew faster than any city in the country in terms of enrollment, right? We grew enrollment by 30% uh, during that time frame, so many families stayed in Denver or came to Denver because of the schools, whereas maybe a decade and a half ago it was almost there were, there were concerns uh, about the schools and we were seeing tremendous loss of families. And among educators, right, that, that for many educators, we saw many educators come from other districts in Colorado, come from nationally to be in Colorado, to, in, to be in Denver, to come teach in Denver, to come lead schools in Denver. Because ultimately, right, you rise and fall by your talent and your ability to attract and keep talent. So, so I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I think those are all aspects of the way the glass is half full. The glass was also and is also painfully half empty. Um, we continue to have enormous uh, disparities uh, in achievement between our kids, whether it's on the basis of income or race. I think sometimes what's not noticed is on a relevant basis, all of our kids went up so much that the gaps didn't close. And people say, well, the gaps didn't close. You made no progress. That's not fair, right? We, we, went, we, we saw, again, this doubling uh, of kids of color going to college. We saw 35 percentage point graduation rate uh, gains by Latino students. But gaps still remain. And, and I think the, 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 the severity and, per, uh, and, and pervasiveness uh, of those achievement opportunities, right, I think troubles continues to trouble me very, you know, very strongly. And I think it just sort of points again with all of the progress that we made, 
right? It used to be, for example, on kids in our every demographic trailed kids across the state in those demographics. By the time I left, in every demographic, our kids were outperforming kids uh, across the state uh, in their demographic. In some cases, for example, English language learners by wide margins. Um, but, but clearly, right, the kind of, of results that we want to see, particularly for our highest needs kids, we've got a heck of a lot of work to do to, to improve those. And talk about some of the political challenges. Uh, I agree with your interpretation of the performance track record in Denver yeah. that despite these persistent gaps, it's very clear that all boats were rising, yet it seems that not everyone in the community and ultimately not everyone on the school board was content with the course of action. Uh, you know, help us square that, that circle. Yeah, I think uh, challenging. Um, you know, I, I, I think when it comes to our schools, uh, we all rightly are enormously concerned about the success of our schools, right? That passion that everyone has across the community, across the political spectrum is vital, and it should be, right? Our schools uh, make or break the success of our communities and, and determine our futures. Um, I, I think what we saw over time, and this is not uncommon when you see tremendous changes, um, is a lot of polarization. And I think we, we're seeing that nationally, right? We, we went from a period of time, if you think, you know, 10 years ago, where frankly, there was a lot of consensus around issues around education. I think, you know, with, with President Obama and the support within the Democratic Party for President Obama, frankly, support within the Republican Party for what President Obama is trying to do. Uh, in education in the beginning. Um, we, we've seen over the last several years, in, in a way that's been tremendously accelerated by the election of the current president, a splintering and a, fracture, a fracturing of our politics and these very powerful, very painful centrifugal forces that are pushing people politically to the left, on the left, to the more left, on the right, to the more right. And we had, frankly, staked out a very centrist position where we'd really put together a coalition of people um, um, in the Democratic Party. Denver's an overwhelmingly blue city. Um, we got support from the left, the center, the right. Uh, but frankly, as the left got lefter and the right got righter, the center uh, became lonelier. And I think we saw increasingly vociferous critics on, you know, on, all, on, on the left and on the right. I think that's really a, a representation of where we are in our politics today. I think it's very challenging because I think, frankly, in this sort of winner-takes-all politics of the left or of the right, there doesn't seem sometimes to be a lot of ground in the middle. And I think the way that you generate long-lasting change is by forming coalitions that can hold uh, and that occupy a, a place where people of different ideological stripes and persuasions can find common ground. And sadly, I think we're a time in our country where there's a lot less focus on trying to find common ground and move forward, and education and the Denver Public Schools is not immune from that. Now, as we record this interview, the district in Denver and its union, the Denver Classroom Teachers Association, appear to have reached an impasse in negotiations over a new collective bargaining agreement. And by the time our conversation is released, teachers may well be on strike. What do you make of the current situation? And does it call into question the extent to which some of the changes in how the district managed its teacher workforce are sustainable over time? You know, I don't have a crystal ball to be able to predict the future. I was hopeful that there'll be an agreement reached. 
Um, you know, I think what's going on right now really just manifests there's a lot of frustration on the part of teachers, much of which that I share, right? Colorado is one of the wealthiest states in the country, yet we fund education well below the national average. Denver is one of, you know, cost of living is rising very highly. The, the, the funding that we get from the state continues to tremendously lag uh, inflation and the increase in cost of living um, um, that, that uh, that our teachers are experiencing. So I, I certainly understand and sympathize that frustration of teachers. I think, you know, sadly, the, the, the real issue is with the state and Colorado moving from a place where we're, you know, in the bottom half of state funding to be a stronger funded district, right? That's a political issue, and that's not an issue the Denver Public Schools can solve. Um, so that's, you know, that's a question. But, but, but I do think, right, there is a concern sort of that, you know, and this gets to where we are as a country, that um, in civil wars, nobody wins. Everybody loses. Everybody ends up getting hurt. Um, and civil wars take a long time to rebuild from. Um, and civil wars have painful and unpredictable outcomes. So again, I do hope there's not a civil war. And I do hope uh, folks come together and recognize they have heck of a lot more interests in common uh, that divide them and really come together to, to create the political uh, will that's needed for Colorado to go from being one of the, the, the worst funded states in the country in terms of our investment education to be one that really takes into account the kind of economic, frankly, resources uh, that we have in Colorado to fund our kids. Now, it seems like the two sides are actually fairly close in terms of the overall levels of compensation, starting salaries and the like, and presumably that may reflect the constraints in terms of overall funding. And the big divide seems to be on just how much are we going to try and use compensation as a lever to try and attract teachers to priority schools, the schools that need it the most, where you've tried to create opportunities for leadership. Is it just that it's hard to do that when the overall pie is not big enough. It's hard to maintain teacher support for uh, deviating from a traditional salary schedule when the overall schedule is not large enough, or you know, is there another way to try and break through that impasse? I think what you say is certainly part of it, right? That when, um, when the size of the, paw, the pie is so small, right, the, the fights over how that pie is divided are fiercer. And, and so I think that's why you know, I'd love to see energies be put into how do we grow the pie, because if we can grow the pie to the point where, you know, Colorado, for example, we fund education at less than half uh, of what other states, and whether that's East Coast states like a, a New York or a Massachusetts funds, or even states like Wyoming uh, fund education. So I'd love to see, you know, energies put into how do we work together uh, to, to grow the pie that would allow for you know, continuing to ensure the teachers uh, receive higher base salaries and also ensure that consistent, right, with this commitment to equity, right, that as hard as the job is of teachers in our higher income schools, and it is hard, right, the job of our teachers in our lowest income schools is harder and the challenges are higher. Uh, and I think it's important that if you're going to attract and keep your best teachers in your highest income schools, that pay is a piece of it. It's by far the, it's not the dominant piece, right? There's so many, teachers will tell you, 
It's about culture. It's about supports. It's about leadership. It's about opportunities. And pay is one piece of that, right? I think it's is equally crazy to say pay will solve the problem on its own. It will not, as it is to say that there shouldn't be any pay differential for our folks who 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 teach uh, in our highest poverty schools and our highest needs kids. So I'm hopeful again that common ground can be found. So very early in your tenure as superintendent, you said that, quote, we have a fairly good idea of where we want to go. Getting there is hard. Uh, as I listen to you talking today, uh, I hear you saying that your vision was, was broadly correct, but yes, indeed, it was hard. How can we make it easier for district leaders like yourself and like your successor in Denver, Susana Cordova, to pursue that vision? I, I think one you know, really, it is important to look at the facts um, and to have accurate data on, uh, for example, in Denver, what, what has happened so people can uh, can really look at that and sort of say, okay, this isn't about ideology, right? If the number of kids of color going to college has doubled, right, that's not sort of something that you just sort of say, oh, everything's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, I, I think secondly, again, it's to try and reach across some ideological differences and find common, find common ground. And I think, again, it's been troubling to see uh, how polarized folks have come, you know, have become across the, uh, uh, again, the, the, the spectrum. And, and I think in, in, in age, a time of deep polarization, it's very hard uh, to have lasting change because, right, there's, there's a little bit of a pendulum effect to politics. Um, um, and, and what's important, again, is the only way that you move the focal point of the pendulum, right, as opposed to that bottom of the pendulum, is to bring people together. It's not just to have a winner-takes-all, we're in power today, we're going to sort of take away everything the person did before us. Um, it, and I think, again, that requires people, people coming together. So I think really coming together on a clear vision, which is, above all, around this absolute fundamental need to provide our highest needs kids, our kids in poverty, our kids of color, who have so long not gotten the kind of opportunities that they need and deserve the best, uh, the best opportunities, uh, and do that in a way that also recognizes that's, that's going to take some time, right? That perfection is not going to be reached in a day. And if we're in a place where everything is terrible and nothing is good because nothing is perfect, right, I think that tremendously frustrates your ability to bring people together to recognize that change is going to take time. And I think, again, if I had said 10 years ago, hey, after 10 years, we will double the number of kids of color graduating from our high schools and going to college every year, people would have said, that would be absolutely amazing, right? That would be beyond, beyond the idea of the possible. Uh, but yet as we did that year after year, people said, oh, the increases aren't fast enough every year. And, and frankly, I've, you know, I felt that keenly too. I wanted the increase to be faster too. Uh, uh, but at the same time, again, I, I am proud of a doubling, right, of the number uh, uh, of our highest needs kids going to college. And I think that when... All of us from all political, all stripes, you know, are so impatient that it, what it does sometimes often is it causes us to strangle change in the early stages because the 
perfect is always the enemy of the good, that we strangle the good. And I think that's an important lesson for folks to reflect on. My guest today has been Tom Bosberg, former superintendent of Denver Public Schools, and the focus of the article, Redesigning Denver Schools, available now at educationnext.org. Tom, thanks for being part of the podcast. Great. Thanks very much, Marty. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the EdNext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners find us.